Looks like we have an official review. The officials have reviewed the situation and they have determined the no call will stand. Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Official Review Podcast. My name is Peter Parkham, and I have been officiating roller derby since 2011. I started out with Bear City Roller Derby in Berlin, have been independent for quite some time, and now I am affiliated with the Wet City Rollers in Bergen, Norway. I have been traveling as roller derby official in a lot of countries in Europe, have been to the United States for derby and also to Brazil. So it's fair to say I have been around. But it's also fair to say that this podcast is not about me. Rather, this podcast is my try at deep diving into the world of roller derby officiating, seen from all different angles. For each episode, I will try to have a new guest on the show, talking about how they got involved with the sport, what got them into officiating in the first place, or even what kept them from trying out, and how they experience the officiating culture in Derby today. We will tell stories about the lessons we learned along the way, try to provide some insights into growing as an official, and share memorable stories both from on and off the track. And for the first episode, I was lucky enough to speak with an official and a friend that has been in the sport longer than I have. And we talked about what it was like learning to officiate when there was no casebook around, almost no online resources and just a vague understanding of the rules. We share our recipe for staying in the sport for over 10 years each and what we can do to keep people engaged after they quit officiating. So without further ado, let's jump into today's guest introduction. The year is 2010. And while the Irish delegation did not manage to secure a single medal at the Winter Olympics in Vancouver and had to return home without anything to show for, all across the globe, back in his hometown of Dublin, a young man showed up to roller derby practice and would move on to become one of the best known officials in the sport. Not just in Europe, but across the globe in the entire derby community. With more than a decade and countless games under his belt, he has become one of the oldest active officials, but also one that is known for his professional yet always approachable personality on track and his easygoing and fun to be around character off track. Respected by coaches, skaters and fellow officials alike, he has since then become a slogan on a t-shirt, a trendsetter for official pictures and one of the most experienced referees the sport has to offer. Welcome to the official review, Shref. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you so much. You're very, uh, very welcome. Very welcome. All of these words were true that you haven't heard for a third time. Because, like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> full disclosure. Absolutely. This is my journalist duty here. I guess uh, we're recording this for the third time already. Um, first time, I really, really fucked up and uh, just deleted the recording, or it got deleted. Let's say it got deleted due to technology issues. Uh, second time, I think both of us in our high quality standards weren't uh, satisfied with the outcome. No, it sounded like we were in a submarine. And I wouldn't mind. I, it, being drunk was not one of the problems at all, no. which I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are going to ask, but no. We, we were really professional about the second recording. Um, yeah. as it, I, we, I mean, we had three backup systems running to make sure we hadn't recording. Uh, but yeah, 
this is how we end up with the third time. And I think this is also has become a bit of a, a therapy session here for us. I'm loving it. Yeah. We're, we're going through the, we're going through the, uh, some of the same stuff at least a couple of times, but, uh, to, to, to get us started here, how did you start roller derby? How did you end up in the sport? I started, oh God, a long time ago now. And it was because my girlfriend at the time was one of the founding members of uh, Dublin of our league and uh, just none of us knew how to skate nobody knew the rules of roller derby and people were trying to learn to skate and they're like well we'd like to learn to skate but can someone help us learn these rules as well so myself and another guy got involved trying to help out and yeah god did we have no idea (laughs) on either how to skate or even how to interpret the rules at the time (laughs) it was terrible and uh, how how were you about picking up skating? Was it, uh, did you decide from the start that you want to be a skating official or was there ever like doubt that you're going to be able to skate? Yeah, I think from the very beginning, I wanted to be a skating official. But, oh, to say there was doubt about me ever managing to skate is an understatement. I think I couldn't stand up on roller skates without falling over for the guts of about eight months. Mm. It was it was painful literally (laughs) um and embarrassing but um it's funny that after those eight months it was like a light bulb went off and I just knew where my balance was how to stand how to move so much easier from then on out and I think part of the problem and part of why it took so long is now we've got amazing people that can train other people you know in the shortest possible time frame well back then everybody was learning you know, Ireland doesn't have a skating culture because, you know, it's kind of wet and terrible outside. So people tend not to go out and roller skates. Mm-hmm. So everyone was just teaching themselves, learning from hilariously bad YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was kind of how we learned. <laughs> and by falling a lot. Yeah. And uh, so you mentioned there was no one, no one around to, to train you. And there were those terrible YouTube videos, but were they roller derby centric in in any sense or were it just some skating videos that you picked up and so you started to dance on skates before you actually skated uh yeah back then no there there was very little derby wise like if any um i like there was nothing for derby i think someone started doing some videos and then the skaters started watching it but they weren't really about how to skate they were more now you know how to skate here's how you do things like blocking you know so it was like oh let's jump to step 12 when I still can't do step four. So that was kind of how it started. And then dance videos, I never even looked at those because it was just, it was more, let me just stand up and see, can I not fall over? And mm. yeah, I think I it just took a while. Mm. And did you did you ever learn to absorb a hit? And did you did you actually do, did those, like do those contact uh, drills? Yeah, like in the early days, we used to always do contact drills. And even now, if we have officials, we do allow them to like, do our learn to skate program you know they can they can leapfrog it to a certain extent they don't have to do contact if they want to be an official mm. but um it's it's heavily encouraged that they do it for multiple reasons you know for a start they're more stable on their feet if a accidental hit comes in so yeah I, we did all those drills initially um i even played a couple of times in some like charity games you know mm. just for for fun um but yeah i think it's it's beneficial i think for skating officials to do to do that because you never know when out of nowhere someone's gonna you know nail into you from 
you know an unexpected position so the, the more stable you are the better and i think it was also part of the skating skill assessment uh for the old certification at least yeah we used to do like wheel bumping in particular mm. where you'd like try and kick someone's wheels all the time um and i think it was was there light contact but i don't think there was much of like yeah really heavily hitting someone yeah that was i think you were it said that you have to be able to take a light hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think for officials doesn't really apply because the only hits we usually take is very sudden hits out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't preempt it. It's just like, oh, there we are. Yeah. <laughs> there you and are. All, Thank you. <laughs> we all we all can't be as graceful to jump over people, I guess. Yeah, I, I know. Most of us even shouldn't try because that's going to be... Uh, no, no. I, I've always said I'll take a knee and fall over the skater rather than attempt to jump because yeah. the poor skater's going to end up in a bad way if I try and jump him. That, that's yeah. a fact. <laughs> <laughs> so before being an official in roller derby, did you... Did you do other sports before that, team sports, or did you even officiate at other sports? Never officiated before ever. And then team sport-wise, not since I was a literal child. I did um, Gaelic football, which is Ireland's crazy version of soccer where you can use your hands and like shoulder people. So did that a little bit as a kid. But as an adult, it was all like very solo sports. Like I used to do cross-country running, uh, did a bit of mountain climbing, motorbike racing. So weird stuff like that, but never, mm -hmm. never anything where you're on a team, you know, mm -hmm. so that was, that was a new experience, not only being on a team with people, but officiating. Like that was totally weird and different, you know? <laughs> and, and, and what was intriguing about that? I think it, it kind of felt like a weird frontier at the time. Like it was just, no one was doing this. There was some buzz about it. People were like, oh, this is cool. No one knew what the rules were in, in Ireland anyway, because we were just brand new. We were reading this rule set and we were trying to interpret it incredibly badly, but we found that out later. But it was like we had everything wrong. So it was trying to figure that out and look online and trying to you know gently reach out to other people who you'd never even met before as to, am I doing this right or wrong? Are we are we interpreting this right? Uh yeah, so it was it was interesting and challenging, and especially because kind of felt because there was less support then. It was almost more, I don't know, fun or challenging because it was much harder to learn it. Mm -hmm. And how did you experience the culture around that? So you said you re reached out to people that you've barely met or or probably have just read their names online. But how how was the culture in general around it? Were people helpful? Yeah, people were lovely. the The only problem was there was like a a forum where you could go. I'm gonna sound like such an old man. The uh, you you could go online and log into a forum and you could ask a question. And uh, people were lovely; like they would answer. The only problem was you'd get twenty people answering, and then you had twenty different answers because it felt like everybody was in the same boat. Uh, even like a lot of the American officials who were you know years ahead of us at that stage. Even amongst them, there was massive differentiating, you know, points of view and how to interpret stuff. So it, that made it even trickier because then we had to sit down and go, so there, it doesn't seem like there's a definitive right answer. So mm. let's figure it out together and see what we think the right answer should be. So in those early days, there was a great collaboration in particular, I think, between the skaters and the officials about trying to tease this out and, and 
talk about it together and and see what we thought might be the correct way of interpreting it. Mm. And that the skaters from a get-go understood that this is an integral part, that they need the officials to be understanding. I mean, I guess they, they knew that the officials need to understand the rules, but were they nurturing this environment? very soon on like maybe not in the very beginning because i think from the very beginning it was important learn to skate and get people who to actually come to this weird thing and and you know learn to skate so get numbers up was definitely a priority initially but then after that i think especially after the first game it was like oh oh we have no idea really what these rule things are so let's try and figure this out and there was great buy-in like we used to have a lot of rules nights because the league was so small i mean it's it's like just your buddies and you know in your house or in a pub and you'd be trying to read the rules and interpret it and you'd do some research and you think you'd have it nailed down and then you'd explain it to to the skaters and then the skaters would ask questions and then the more you tease stuff out the more you realize eh, maybe i don't quite have that down <laughs> <You know>? uh oh <laughs> yeah so I'd say that's always when you have to start to explain it to someone else you you really find the holes in your own uh knowledge The way I kind of view it now is if I can't explain this simply, I don't know it well enough. Mm. And I think that's oh, yeah. kind of how I view it now. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So what do you think sparked then the, mm, the development of officiating as we know now, or the, at least the way to, to the officiating as we know it now when we have a lot of boot camps, highly experienced people? I think for f what what I saw is that the start of this was WIFTA had a, a, an officials boot camp in in Europe, uh, in Belgium. And that was that was really, really beneficial. And before that there was stuff like EROC that was happening. That was that was probably the biggest benefit I think to to Derby at that time because we were all so new. We were able to like network, talk to other people that were in the same boat as us, talk to people that were more experienced, you know, tease stuff out and, and figure figure this all out together. And not just from an officiating side, but from the skater side, from how do you actually build a league? How do you set up a, a HR in case you got issues, interpersonal issues, you know, so it was really, really important. Um, so I think EROC and, and WIFTA coming over doing clinics here was was vital in the early days. Yeah, and I think, uh, like you said, EROC did a really good job early on to bring people that are really willing to learn and are also in a position in their league to influence that a lot, uh, together with people from the US. I remember the first rule session I attended at EROC was with uh, Pantychrist, who was on the mm -hmm. rules panel back then. Yeah. And so we, we had someone that, even though we kind of did not really have a definitive decision on some of the stuff. We at least had someone that could that could tell us, well, we don't also like in WIF that we don't have a definitive de decision here. That and that was that was something that was really interesting to hear, I think especially for me because being so far away from, you know, where where the action was at the time. Now it's totally different, but back then it was like this everything's happening in the states and it's starting to filter out to us in like little bits of information mm -hmm. and to find out that back then there was such a a difference of opinion on how to write the rules how to interpret it and that you'd have 
very, very high level officials that would totally disagree with each other on stuff. That was that was really, really interesting back then. And now it's it's way more standardized with a case book with that's that's made life a lot easier. Mm. And I think also this put Europe a bit on the map or at least in in the minds of Wifter in the US. We're like, oh, there is a lot of people actually doing the sport there and they have trouble understanding the language we're using, for instance, in yeah. the rules. Because back then, I mean, this is from a non-native speaker yeah, yeah. Uh, position, but I really had troubles understanding the language. It was almost reading like something a lawyer would have written. Yes. And, and I can tell you, even from a native speaker's point of view, I found it incredibly difficult to try and understand because again as you said it was written in very legalese language so you'd you'd read it and you go okay i do i do i really know what they're saying i think i get what they're saying but that could be interpreted one of three ways and that's where it got really confusing but i think that put european officiating on a map because it felt like wifta and the us knew oh we actually we have this thing growing fast like absolutely rapidly in europe We, we got to give some assistance there to make sure that they they start with a good footing and can grow from there. But I think then we had a few officials in Europe that did travel over to the States. And I think, mm -hmm. if anything, they probably put us more on the map than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And and for me, that would be like the likes of Ballistic Whistle, uh, Cherry Fury in particular was just huge for that. Like if it wasn't for Cherry, yeah, we're... European officiating would be totally different to what it is now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, and I started maybe a year after you, but I, I, I don't think there's anyone in Derby, if if they're still around from that time and they've officiated, then they've had their run-ins with Cherry yeah. uh, in particular and Ballistic probably at some point as well. And even for newer officials, I think it's a, a case of three degrees of separation because mm. they may not have met Cherry ever because she's gone far too long now, unfortunately, but they they would have probably interacted with people who were directly trained by her. And I think a lot of people benefited not only from her knowledge, but her her mentality and mindset that she imparted onto other people. Mm -hmm. And I think you and I both remember one of her, her famous kind of sayings, which is that feedback is the breakfast of champions. Mm -hmm. So you're not always going to like what you hear, but by God, is it the only way we're going to grow by hearing the stuff we've done wrong? Uh, it, it's so important to hear. So important. Yeah. And uh, you could easily tell like her intention always was to really improve you as an official. There was never like the yeah. feedback you would have gotten from her was never to like look down on you or anything. It was never. always with yeah. the intention of making officials and officiating in general better yeah yeah and honest to goodness thank god for her <laughs> because because it, it really it, it it made such a difference to so many people in europe at the time which hopefully kind of laid the foundations for the next generation because like we're we're crusty old people now in this stage in derby you know so and and the people that we looked up to when we started they're all gone You know, mm -hmm. that's that's the crazy thing. When I look around and I see even my peer group are gone, pretty much it's it's scary. There's hardly there's hardly a lot of people uh, that have been in Derby longer than us now. Yeah, We're the old people. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the gray hairs prove it, right? <laughs> right. True. 
That's why I wear a hat all the time. <laughs> just hide away the bald spots. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I I agree with you, and I like I I would also agree that to this day, I think the style of officiating that Cherry put out is still visible in roller derby today. Be it with the very gracious indication of not lead jammer. Yes, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. definitely one of her signature <clears throat> moves. Um, but also in general, I think the style of approaching officiating in general uh how to run games how to run crews how to interact with coaches all of this has cherry written all over yeah. it i think to this yeah. day yeah yeah thankfully yeah okay but uh so you have you have the skating down now you kind of understand the rules by now because you have a <laughs> you had a bit of uh run-ins uh, either at e-rock or in some weird online forums so what do you remember your first game and how did that go? Oh, yeah. Uh, my first game was before I got to go to E-Rock. Uh, so I was still Bambi on skates. had no idea what I was really doing. Had some, had some vague understanding of the rules. Thought I had a better understanding than I did. Um, and thankfully got to work with a couple of really good officials. And Sherry was one of them from my, my first game. Um, and that was an interesting experience because for a start I was learning a lot I learned so much during the first game and one of the biggest things I learned was I need to skate better mm -hmm. so I could do a one knee drop and turn to the right and then I was on the outside and I kept having to do a one knee drop and turn and then stand up and run backwards so I don't think I've ever burnt more calories than I did in that game and that was back not while we would do we wouldn't follow a pack. It was skating weight and Derby was just fast and ridiculous and made no sense. And it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a speed and endurance game back then for sure. Mm -hmm. But it was, yeah, I, I learned a big lesson. Learn to skate. <laughs> how did you, how did you drop off penalties to the outside whiteboard then? Uh, it was great because I was taking a knee right beside them while I'd spin around and be like, yeah, that was a forearm <laughs> by whatever person, you know, it was, <laughs> it was just so bad. But uh, thank God, I hope there's no footage of that. It was actually embarrassingly terrible. But I, that's like everybody when they start out doing something, you know, but it's yeah. it's how we learn. We, we I think we learn more from our mistakes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I do hope there's footage, though, and I will dig through the internet and try to find it. What <laughs> no, was it? No. Who, who was playing who again? Uh, it was Dublin and we were playing in Scotland. We played, I think, I think Glasgow in our first game. Hmm. Um, it was a fun after party as well. The old days, best after parties were the old days for sure. I mean, we're, I think we're slowly getting back to having good after parties after COVID. I think after COVID, people are kind of dipping back into Derby in a more relaxed basis. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's, I, I noticed in a lot of leagues, like everyone was booking for the Hydra. Everyone wanted to go win. It was go to America, play, 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 play. And now it's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that eventually, but mm. let's just go back to enjoying it. Right. I think that's also one of the reasons for that is because I think when Derby went away during COVID, a lot of the people realized that they were actually burned out. Like they yeah. have done so much and that, that's something... I think we in officiating have to have to acknowledge and have to work on uh, being better. But do you have any like how do you stay motivated? Because you survived through COVID, you're still an official. Yeah. Um, what's what's the secret sauce? I for me, you have to love it. 
like you gotta love this sport like i i love it like it's a great fun game to watch like if you're if you're not playing it or officiating it i'd want to sit in an audience and watch it and better than sitting in an audience and watching it i'd much prefer to be right there at the side of the track being able to watch it as it's unfolding a foot away from you like that's even more fun to me so i i think loving it is really important um and just in, enjoying your time not just in the game itself but with the people you know like that's one of the great things about going to tournaments or games is that you get to normally go out for a drink with people afterwards and mm -hmm. talk to them and find out who this unusual person in front of you is and and what they like and what they do for a living and what they don't do for the you know just finding more about them and I, i've made a lot of friends from derby that if i just met them in a bar and started chatting there's no way we would still be friends you know a decade or more in you know just from meeting each other at games all the time or at tournaments and you're like this person's weird but they're really cool you know it's, mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's fun yeah it's great so i think not losing not using the love of it is really important but also being careful what games you choose as well there's always a there's always going to be more games out there than officials i think mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's tough on leagues and teams when they're trying to get all the officials together for their game here or their tournament there and yeah that it's tough and i'd love to go and help all those teams and leagues but i've got a life i've got a job you know we've got pets or families or whatever and you kind of have to say well what's the priority in my life Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it cannot be Derby. It can't be the number one priority. It has to take a backseat to work because I got to pay the bills and it's got to take a backseat to, you know, to your pets or your relationships or whatever. Like it, it can't be the number one thing in your life. It can't. Um, I think it just it takes everybody a different length of time to figure that out. You know, certainly took me a while to figure that out. But once you figure it out, you're like, oh, God, yeah, this is so much better. You can just dip your toe in do stuff you really find fun or what I tend to do now is I do stuff with people who I love being around so you kind of go oh are you at this thing yeah okay I'll apply you know it's that that to me is the fun thing yeah I agree and I think that's one of maybe that's an advantage of starting at a time where there weren't really as many games around as we have nowadays that we were always a bit a bit more content with not having an event every weekend we're okay yeah. with just traveling once a month or even once every two three four months that's yeah. fine as long as the event and the people there are worth it versus where i think officials that are starting or, or have recently started there's because i mean in the beginning you want to do a lot you just yeah. want to be away every weekend you want to do yeah. tournaments and you could probably have something on a Friday evening, go somewhere else on Saturday and then have like rounded up with a doublehead on Sunday somewhere else again. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I remember when I started out, there might, may have been, oh God, if there was 10 games a year, that was within traveling distance of me. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm not including Ireland here. You know, I'm saying UK, like UK, Ireland, parts of Europe it was like there was so few teams there were so few games happening it was and and there were so many even then there was loads of officials that were trying to learn so you weren't going to get staffed for you know those 10 games so you might do two and you're like oh that was cool and then it started to ramp up quickly you know and then more teams are sprouting up and I, I think 
definitely at one stage there were far far more teams than officials and there probably still are but if at one stage it totally outstripped any ability for officials to to be there and i think that burned a lot of people out mm. and also i think though what what you just said that uh for for you nowadays it's more important that the people that are there are friends that you can hang out with over the weekend and have a have a great weekend that you also combine with derby but um if you just have a couple of events i think those bad experiences they weigh a lot more but you can still have them today um and and what would you say is a good way to bounce back from like having a really bad experience whether it's for the games you did or the, the organization around it what's a good recipe uh, like bad experiences if it's something like the organization of this wasn't great i think you gotta like remember and give yourself maybe a bit of a kick it's an amateur sport These are a bunch of people who just love a game. They're trying to do the best they can. They might have really limited time. They may have really limited resources to put something together and they're doing the best they can. And I often get a little bit pissed off when I hear people complaining so much about certain stuff because you're like, it, it's it's amateur. You know, we're amateurs, they're amateurs. We're all trying to do this thing together. Uh, they didn't have the exact type of food that you're like, okay, I'm an adult. I'm going to turn up to an event with something that I can eat, you mm -hmm. know, at, at all times. If I'm allergic to something, I'm going to make sure I've got stuff that I can eat, you know. So I think that there's an onus probably on us to maybe manage our expectations better and not expect leagues to, you know, do everything for us. For me, it's always a bonus if they offer stuff. But for me, that's not the, I don't go in expecting this. Mm. And I think that's because when I started out, It wasn't there. <laughs> like It just wasn't there. You turned up. If there was going to be two games, you brought food with you. You brought your own water with you. You just, you know, have suitcase, wheel travel. You arrived at all the stuff you need. And now it's like, I think so many leagues were doing stuff to try and get officials in of like, we'll offer this. We'll offer like a travel stipend. We'll offer food. We'll offer the other thing. We'll offer hosting, which is amazing. But that's a, that's a bonus. For me, I, do, I don't find that to be the, the bare minimum. I know people will disagree with me, but I think it's amateur. Like if we get something great, cool, awesome. But can a league afford it? You know, they might not. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that especially, I mean, it's always, there's always so good intentions, but there's not always resources to back this up. And I agree, like we yeah. are doing the sport on our own terms. We're not making a living off this. Yeah. It's, it's our, it's our free time as well. And I, I want to go in and be prepared to spend my free time on, on my terms as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's like on the organizational side of things from like, you had a bad game, you didn't like what happened or you thought you had a poor day officiating. All right we're never going to have great days all the time. You got to kind of shake yourself off. If anything, use it as an opportunity to learn from what you did wrong. If, if I made a mistake, because I make a mistake every game, I make many, many, God, many mistakes every game. So mm -hmm. best I can do is just learn from them. Uh, if, if, if you visually just say, if I ever have a perfect game, I'm retiring. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I totally get that because I'm never going to have a perfect game ever ever just like skaters don't officials don't you know we all make mistakes you just try not to make massive monumental ones but that's you know 
because of the turf, we've all made massive monumental ones too. It's like, it's the way we learn. Yeah. But uh, on that note, I think one one really important thing is how to handle mistakes. And I'm not not yet talking about like on a personal level, you, but more uh, when we're talking about we're all spending our free time in an amateur sport, like in a sports hall far away from home. I think treating each other when we make mistakes is one of the is also one of the big things that can help us keep officials in the game. Yeah, for sure. I think someone makes a mistake, help them out. And that could be in any way. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a rules related thing. It could be in anything they do wrong. Just let them know, hey, you know, maybe don't do that next time or maybe do mm. this thing or do something different. And the same goes for like, not just officials, but like organizations. If you think a league should have done something different, I would again, manage your expectations and maybe offer something to them and say, look, if think if you did X or Y, it may help get more officials or it might help with whatever. That's cool. You know, but demanding stuff is probably never the best way to go about it. You know? Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. And and then be silent afterwards when it when it didn't happen, start complaining instead of offering your honest help. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I cannot believe they did XYZ. You're like, well, tell them politely and you know, correctly. No. <laughs> right. And I think on the other hand, people that really let's say some either a league or someone that organizes the game is really not listening to feedback being given. I think that also the word will travel fast and dirty yeah. and people will know and nobody will show up to your games. Well, I think for me in particular, that was the way it used to work is that a, a particular official might get a reputation for being aggressive or something. And then you just wouldn't staff them because it was so interconnected and networked in the early days that it was like, mm. Oh, you heard one person had a bad experience with this person or they did something that was, you know, violent and you'd be like, oh, they're, they're, that's the end of that. That's done, you know? So I, I think you can easily go about it in a way like that as well. You know, word gets out, word travels. and mm. Like it's a small community. Everybody knows everything, so. And having, uh, I mean, having had ref quite one or two games, I think. Yeah, a few. Um what is your approach to dealing with coaches, skaters, doing games maybe that are, I mean, coming to the middle a lot, that that uh, keep complaining? How do you deal with that? Well, for a start, I always tell bench coaches and uh, captains and alts that, look, you can come to me anytime. You know, the, the, I think having an open dialogue of an open channel of communication is really good. Um and I think the other thing as well is there's often, oftentimes you see some officials thinking that, oh, because I'm wearing a particular color that's different from the teams, I know more, know more than them. That's, that's not true. <laughs> also, I, I'm seeing stuff from a specific point on track, which is where there's momentum, there's stuff happening. I'm trying to communicate with other officials. I've, they very well could be right. So it is that just listening to someone acknowledging that, yeah, they could be spot on. They could be right. I didn't see it. And just letting them know, I'm sorry, I didn't see that, but I will try and pay more attention for it. And I'll ask the officials. And then the next chance I get, I will skate out and let the officials know, look, th this particular team is wanting us to watch out for X, Y, and Z. That's it. And I think often when the bench coaches or, or captains see that we have gone out and communicated with the, the officials, that's that makes a huge difference. Because I think, 
like with anybody, it's great when we're being listened to. And it, there's nothing worse than going in, giving some feedback that you have, getting told either, well, we're correct, <laughs> which is my pet age, or, you know, we, we didn't see it. And then nothing being communicated to the officials from there. Like if I was a bench coach, that would drive me insane. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just knowing what would the perspective be like from the other side. Mm. But uh, on that note, when there is stuff you get communicated from a bench coach or a captain um, that you can't immediately improve, but they want you to immediately improve, how do you how do you do that? I think you got to manage their expectations as well. Like I've, depending on what kind of crew you have, you could have like a very very junior crew, um, and sometimes it happens that just because of the the lack of officials, you might end up with a very junior crew staffing quite a you know senior level of derby play you know quite difficult high level play and some stuff's going to be missed and then i would normally just say to both captains and both coaches you know look skaters and benches this is the reality we're we're we're, we're playing today with some junior officials we're going to miss some stuff apologies but that's just how it's going to go today unfortunately mm-hmm. and i think again managing the expectations of everybody involved is is the the best way of doing it that's i think because mm-hmm. I'm being honest, I'm being open. I'm telling them they can bring anything to me. And then I'm also telling them, I, I, I hear you, you're, you're probably correct, but I can't change that right now. You know, I'll try and watch out for it. I'll say it to the officials, but I might not make them be able to make that call today. You know, they'll learn from this and they'll go on and they will get it, but maybe it might not happen today. Mm-hmm. But is there some... Some is there one instance you remember specifically that you like one run in with the coach or a captain? I, I, I had a funny incident where I had a, a, a bench coach come into me and they were marching in very exaggerated body movements coming straight over towards me, stomping their feet, and they started pointing at me. And then when they got close to me, they said, I think you and the officials are doing a really good job today, but my skaters are all losing their minds on the bench. So if you could please look at me and nod and drop your head, I will go back to my bench and I'll see you at the after party. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like that's, that was a really easy thing for me to do is kind of, you know, head down and oh, okay. And it, it, it chilled out that team and they are all happy. And you're like, it makes no difference to me. Stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's, it's, it's part of the fun of the game. I thought, you know, like I, I never got this weird thing of officials can't interact with skaters. For me, it's like, it's the fun. That's why we're here. You know, you can chat to people, you know, like I probably wouldn't go up and high five them, but I'd certainly have a conversation with them. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you, and that maybe that cuts into another question about your game, their routines, but um, what you just mentioned was at least when I started was kind of the understanding of when officials turn up to a game, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't really interact with skaters. They wouldn't maybe say hello, but in a very neutral way, no, no smiles on your face. Like I, I, I get, I get the intention behind all of that. I really do. Um, we're amateurs. That's a fact. We're not getting paid. If I was getting paid, yeah, okay, fair enough. We might do this differently. But it's really weird. You're trying to build a rapport with the people you're about to officiate, and if you don't have any rapport with them, it's you're making your job so much harder. Mm. Um, an easy way to build rapport is just say, "Hey, how are things? How are you doing? Have a good game today. 
You know, just a simple few words can make all the difference. But also, if if you've been around a while, you probably know a lot of the skaters and a lot of the leagues. So it's how weird it'd be for you to know someone and you've met them loads of times. You've hung out. You're like, these people are cool. You meet them on game day and you're like, uh, good day. You know, you know that'd, be, that'd be weird. <laughs> you know? You're like, hey, how are things? How are you going? You know, how are the kids? Whatever. It's nice. It's part of the fun of this. You get to, you know, meet people in different countries and, and get to chat. Yeah, and I always, always felt a bit like this is con, uh, contradicting our understanding of officiating in the sports, but we always thought like officiating is such an integral part to roller derby. And in, in, in comparison with football, for instance, we don't try to separate them from the get-go. We try to have them all together and party at the after party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if, if we're that integral, why make ourselves the others? Like... Mm. I just think it's way more fun for a start. It's way more fun hanging around with people who are different to to you. A lot of officials are pretty similar to each other sometimes. So it's nice to to go hang out with skaters or go chat or or drag the skaters over to talk to the officials or whatever. You know, it's that to me was always part of the fun of this is just chatting to, to people that you normally wouldn't talk to. Right. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of in between here, right? You have maybe skaters skating that day that are officials on other yeah. days and uh, yeah. officiate together with you. For sure. Like, I mean, I'm dead lucky in Dublin. We've got like an one of the best officials I've ever worked with who's a, who's a skater. You know, it's, and, and you're like, oh, I worked with them so much, but today they're, they're, you know, playing the game. And this is a really tough game. God, I really wish they were reffing today. <laughs> you know, and that's just the way <laughs> yeah. it works sometimes. Yeah. Okay, but uh, so you greet all the skaters. What's what other stuff? Do you have game day routines? Do you do? I don't know. Do you wear the same socks? Uh, do no, you... no, nothing superstitious like that. The only thing I would always say to like other officials is, don't do something today that you don't normally do. Like if mm. you don't normally have porridge with nuts and raisins, don't make today the day that you try and do that. You know, just do what you normally do. If, yeah. if you try and do something different, you're probably asking for trouble. So I just do normal routine. My normal routine happens to be eating particular types of, you know, food for breakfast. So do mm -hmm. that. Have a coffee. Um, no, I have no weird routines or anything. No, nothing like that. Just depending. I just try and keep my emotional state at a certain level. So mm -hmm. not get too high, not get too low. Just kind of staying in between and this i think everybody's got ways to manage that you mm -hmm. know to either bring themselves up a bit or bring themselves down a bit so we all find what what gets us into the zone that we think we work best in right so with your no game day routine yeah. routine um, <laughs> yeah so was it was that always something you did also when you started always when you started something you were you look at other officials and be like, oh, okay, they do exactly this before a game, so I have to do this as well. I think when I started out, we used to do this thing, which oh, used to drive me mad, where you would meet the day before and you'd have a big giant meeting about the thing mm -hmm. you're about to do the next day. And I, I got it in the early days where you'd have people from many different countries where the way they officiate could be totally different to each other. And you had to establish a baseline for, well, this is actually how we're going to do it this weekend. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the rules are so well established and so, so well written out with many case book entries that we don't need to tell people what a multiplayer is. You know, mm -hmm. we don't need to tell people what a forearm is. So 
I don't know, like, I get why we still do meetings sometimes, but we used to do meetings before, like, a double hitter game or something. Like, we don't need to do that. It's fine. You know, we'll, we'll meet the next day. We'll have a quick chat with everybody. And, you know, we, we've got this down in 20 minutes. It's all good. I feel like at those bigger tournaments where we had those official official meetings um, the night before, it was just uh, like a way of expanding the weekend a bit and start drinking yeah, yeah. early. Yeah, but I would have preferred just, why don't we all just go hang out in the bar? You know, let's do that. You know, if, if you're worried that you're gonna, not going to be fresh in the morning, have a beer, one beer and go home or have a coffee, whatever. You know, you don't uh, just sit in the room for hours and then you would invariably get someone having very important questions that they would need to ask, which was important for them, but wasn't important for anybody else in the room. Mm. So it's, yeah. And just my memory resulted in that person asking that question, defending their view more than actually yes. asking yes. for an answer. Yes, yes. And I always thought if someone's asking a question as to what is a forearm, uh-oh, <laughs> yeah. we may have chosen the wrong person to be here. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, I, I just like to, the, the only thing I'd like to do is try and make the, the, the game day as smooth and easy as possible on the officials. Like, mm -hmm. they're, they're here just like the skaters. They're amateurs. They're here giving their time, donating their time, probably their money and travel there and, you know, to stay there if they're you know staying in a hotel so just make the experience as enjoyable as possible so let's mm -hmm. have fun let's have a laugh let's have a joke uh if some people need to be left alone leave them alone if other people want you to you know chat to them and have a laugh do it you know it's a bit of fun right and looking back at the looking back at the time you started or or we probably started is there something like in old rule sets or the way the game was played before that you miss nowadays like i don't know do you miss minors no minor i'm sorry minor penalties yeah, yeah. no i don't i don't miss i don't miss that uh it, that used to be the hardest thing i think was just the sheer amount of calls that you would have to make in a game because of minor penalties just talking the whole time and having to shout the whole time and communicate to like an outside whiteboard and they're like oh good god it, i do think we have slimmed and trimmed down the rules and the uh, ability to kind of officiate the game so much better than when when we started i think that the one thing i'm happiest about getting rid of is knee starts and that whole thing of that mm. second whistle didn't start until the last person's foot went over the line Good God, some jams had happened and nothing happened. Jammers didn't even come out just because of this nonsense. It was just, oh God. So yeah, happiest about that. You know, that was the best change we ever did. I just totally forgot about those uh, double whistle starts. Oh, oh nightmarish. <laughs> just everyone taking a knee. Oh, just to oh, try yeah. and stop it from happening. And then, and then sometimes when teams would get on on the like five second warning and they weren't quick enough on the on the knee start, they would yeah. just get a pack to strike immediately. Yeah, yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm happy about that. Uh, also, the the like the the whole thing of a jammer being on three minor penalties and having to like start in the wrong position on track to get their fourth minor. So the jammer would go to the box and sit their penalty and then come out again. You're like it just slowed the game down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was just, it was needlessly slower. It, it's, I think the, the logic is like, make the game faster, more enjoyable to watch from a spectator point of view. Mm -hmm. And also I think as a byproduct, it's, it's made it easier to officiate. I think 
much easier mm-hmm. to officiate now than in the beginning and also probably easier on the skaters as well because there's not as much weird stuff you gotta do you don't have to count how many penalties you're on you know i'm on i'm on two minors and three major penalties you're like this madness you know it's way easier i think in general now for a lot of stuff yeah but is there something you would like to have back eh, i think it's so easy to look back nostalgically and and think that everything was so much better, you know, before, you know, I think it's easy to do that in life, not just in Derby, but I, I do feel like in the earlier days of Derby, it was just, there was a very much a kind of punk undertone to things. That's something I miss. I do miss that. You know, mm-hmm. it was definitely more kind of punk when we started out. There was, yeah, I, I think there was a slight more edginess to it. To a certain extent, but yeah, kind of missed that a bit, but I'm still here. So I clearly still enjoy everything the way it's gone now. And under the, at least under the old certification system, you did not go and get certified, but you are now. What made you uh, take that path now? Uh, when, when I first started doing this, there, there was no need to be certified. Because for a start, there wasn't enough certified officials in Europe to actually staff a game. So pff, why why bother with the expense and the time and potential having to travel to the States to, to do it, you know? So, and, and then also knowing that there was no way you could ever get to like level five if you were from Europe, because you would have had to have staffed a WIFTA tournament in the States. And that was almost impossible because people in the U- US wouldn't know who you are you know, to give you that big a chance, like you were given a chance to go officiate, but not necessarily staff, a, you know, a multi-day tournament or, you know, champs, you know, so that was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, and yeah, and again, there's so few people certified in Europe that it, it didn't make any difference to staffing games. Um, but that did change. And I think once the change happened, it's like, uh-oh, the new normal is going to become having a certification for mm-hmm. stuff, you know, and especially as Europe started to host more with the tournaments and there was more and more officials getting certified. It was like, Oh, this is going to be a thing. I, I better do it. <laughs> that was mostly the reasoning behind it. And has it opened doors for you now? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no, it, honestly, it's made no difference whatsoever to, to me. Um, again, I think I was just around so long that that was the biggest thing. It was helpful just being like the old timer hanging around and, and knowing a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, you knew everyone. You're like, hey, you doing a tournament? Yeah. Oh yeah, well, I worked with you before. Do you want to come and do it? You know, and if I think if people know you, they work with you, they trust you, it's so much easier to, to get staffed. So yeah, it was, it was I, I didn't notice a, a difference. Um, mm. Like I was lucky enough to have done a lot of stuff without being certified, so. Once I got certified, it just didn't seem to change stuff. I think maybe if I wasn't certified, it may have changed stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but so, yeah, maybe. But is that then something you would recommend to younger officials to get certified nowadays? Yeah, I I would just because there's a lot of, like, you don't necessarily need to to aim for, you know, level three, but you can, you can do your, your online class and you can get level one effectively straight away like why not it, it just shows that you've you've put a bit of time and effort into this and you've you've gone online you've done the classes you know you, you're doing a test it's like yeah why not 
that's cool. It's um, it doesn't take anything away from you, you know. So in that regards, I think it's worth it. And I think also with the more people around, it shows other people that you have a certain, at least a certain degree of understanding of the rules and the intention of the game. And it's easier for someone that doesn't know you to actually staff you as kind of a reference point. Yeah, I think so. Like I, I don't know about you, but I know if I'm staffing a, a tournament, depending on what way I'm asked to staff the tournament, I will always ask the references. Mm -hmm. Like that, that to me is, is really important or sometimes I, I won't even ask the references. I'll ask people I know and be like, hey, do you know this person? Like, they're an okay. Are they good? Yeah, okay, fine, cool. They're okay. You know, but if someone I knew worked with them and it's like, oh God, they they did, they threw a punch at someone on the tree. You're like, oh, okay, that's that's that. You know, so yeah, sometimes it's, I, I find the references are great, but sometimes if you know someone in the country, like, have you worked with this person before? Why are they like, you know, it's just reaching out. Having Having a community is the best thing about this. You know, and having mm -hmm. people everywhere that you can chat to and talk to and ask their opinion. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the general, like the underlying thing here with references, you would probably pick someone that means well with you, uh, yeah, that you right. forward as reference. Hey, best buddy, will you tell everyone I'm great? Yeah, sure. Uh, although I have to admit, I've gotten some references before and I'm like, why did you use that person's a reference? Yeah, they yeah. hate you. <laughs> God. Yeah, I got that too. Uh, where people put someone down as reference and then you ask them and you're like, oh my God, did why, is the concept of a reference not understood? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw them work three times and I would never want to see them ever again. You're like, oh yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> or is that, is that like generally, the genuinely the the best person you could get? for reference yeah. or the, yeah. i mean there's always the possibility of people not being open about what they think about you and then you think they think you're the best official or you're just not very well reflected yourself yeah i had what i had one reference come back to me before and say are you i don't know who this person is <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh no <laughs> so maybe they just mixed up derby names or anything could be yeah yeah <laughs> So you, you talked about staffing tournaments and then, yeah, I mean, asking for references or asking people, you know, in the country. Um, but how do you generally go about selecting officials for tournaments? And I mean, you teasered this with the way the probably the organization wants the tournament to be staffed, yeah. but I'm interested to hear more about that. Okay. Well, I, first of all, I would say don't have a Google document where I have to ask you for security to let me access your CV. If you do that, and if I've got lots of people applying, honestly, God, done, straight away, straight away. Like I got 50 officials applying for, you know, eight spots or t 12 spots. It's like, whatever it is, someone just didn't give you access. You're like, the, the gone. Like, it's just, you don't have time. Because again, it's an amateur sport. We probably have a job. We probably have family commitments. I have an hour put aside to do this on this day, make everybody's life as easy as possible. So that'd be the first thing. Um, but I would always check with the league and see what they want because some leagues, some leagues are like, hey, look, I want it staffed this way or we'd like you to staff it you know, the other way. I, I tend to find sometimes some, in general, this is a very big generalization. Uh, some teams at a at a high level are like, look, just give us the best officials you can find. 
if that means they've got to come from five countries over, that's who we want. Um, and that's fair. You know, again, it's not my game. You know, it's it's the skater's game. It's that team's game. And especially if that team is is putting some money towards the officials or something, they tell me what they want. That's that's what I try and give them to the best of the ability that I have. Um, if you've got a team that's like, hey, it's, it's a pretty chill tournament, you know, staff it whatever way you want, then you're like, okay, we'll have a nice mix of people here. You know, you give a lot of more junior people a shot. Um, you probably offer someone to be like a, a co-head ref. So basically, they, they just sit in on all the, the stuff with you and they, they watch you go about communicating with answers to bench coaches and whatnot, you know, and, and captains. So it just depends. I'd always ask the league and see what they want from it. And then I tend to find with a lot of national stuff, the league might say, yeah, look, this is, you know, Jabrovia's national team tournament. Uh, we would ideally like you to staff mostly officials from Jabrovia and then a few others. And you're like, yeah, cool. No problem. That's fine. That's your, that's what you want. That's what we'll do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's totally up to the leagues as far as I'm concerned. Again, I always just think officials are here for, for the safety of the skaters and then for the fairness of the game. Mm -hmm. So I, I would love to have the ability to develop skaters at every tournament, but I know there's certain teams if, if, if I bring them, some greener officials it's not gonna go well like the mm -hmm. the attitude of the of the team could be negatively there from the beginning of the game and it's like right that's not worth it for them or for us so right. it just depends depends yeah and it, it comes back to what you said earlier about managing expectations and if the i mean if the teams are expecting the best officials you can find then yeah that's what they that's what they want for the game and then if you can't find the best or if they, the best officials are somewhere else doing something, that's always yeah. like something you can explain to them. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's only fair again. It's their game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, but on the being on the other end, uh, of such an tournament application, what were the best tournaments you you've ever did? Like maybe your uh, top three. Uh, uh depends on what it's the best for like the best fun uh skier hands down <laughs> hands down yep. hands down best best location like if 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 god created a place that's where that's where like nestled in between mountains in a amazing venue amazing hosts a lot of fun derby mm -hmm. just yeah it's great it's great Ma amazing like after party amazing hosting just start to finish mm. such good fun yeah. um 100 and just to cut in here really quick um love skate and ring tournament um and there i think the league has done a really 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 good job with the resources they had to make the officials life yeah heaven and that's also a really good example of how quickly work travels in derby i, I mean yeah. we've done this i think three years First year we did this, we barely had enough officials to make two crews and had to rotate people yeah. around. Yeah. Second year we had a like we had a good amount of people, and I I don't even know if we had to turn down some, but maybe possibly. I think for the second year there was turn downs. Third year was like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Third year we had over I think over seventy applicants. Yeah. And it got yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was insane. And like this is where, where the, the the word really traveled and no one 
I, I have never talked to anyone done this uh, skating ring tournament and came back with, with just a, well, it was okay. Everyone yeah, yeah. enjoyed yeah, yeah. it. It's great. It's amazing. The best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, sorry, but that's uh, that's no, no, it's not, I'm totally with you. I, th I think from a yeah, from from a fun point of view and just like a really well organized that that that's the one for me. Mm. Uh, after that, I think that the notable ones are probably ones that like stick out in my memory, um, like track queens, just being the first, like, with the recognized thing that happened in Europe from a tournament point of view. Mm -hmm. That was amazing and and it wasn't just amazing because it was like a WIFTA event it was just arena berlin w was just the greatest venue that europe has ever had um it's it was just amazing the lighting you couldn't for people that have never seen it the track was lit up with overhead lights it was in a dark kind of room you couldn't see the officials anywhere on the inside or outside mm -hmm. and the audience was there and the audience was amazing. So it was just, it was a, 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 a kind of like a music venue that had mm -hmm. like just superior everything there. It was utterly incredible. Yeah. So that's, that would be one big one. And then after that, for me, it was, it was the world cup in Dallas. Uh, didn't necessarily love the city, but uh, I, I loved the, the derby, the fun, the kind of like, there was some kind of atmosphere there of when you've got like World Cups are just great because it's so many people just happy to be like representing their team, having a good time. I, I loved it. And then for me, that was really special because I watched the World Cup before that at home on my TV and was pretty like very junior and was like, wow, one day maybe I'll be able to go ref that oh, well, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, I'm watching it on TV and then stupidly enough, given the opportunity to to crew head it the next time, you know, it was just like, talk about ro reversal of fortunes, you know, it's just amazing. So no, I loved it. I really, really loved that. That was great. And is there still something you would like to achieve in Derby? Is there some event, some tournament you would want to do? Is there some, some else? Some like... Not really, like... I know it sounds crazy. Like I've I've done I've done high level with the stuff. I've done high level like stuff for quite a few years and like refed World Cups, men and women's, and you know had had great fun doing it. Now it's kind of just want to hang out with fun people and cool people and friends and you know just enjoy my time. Like the idea of running around and doing forty games in a year. Oh no way. No, that's exhausting. No way. No way. I wouldn't mind teaching people. I love teaching people. I love doing boot camps. So I would love to do more boot camps and just sit down with people and, and try and impart the tiny amount of stored knowledge that I have. Because um, I always find that the, the saddest thing for me in Derby is when, when people leave, they, they actually leave. You know, it's in other sports, when people go, they they move into the back room and they help a team out a different way or they do something, you know, or they stay on and they become trainers for officials. Well, here it's like, okay, cool. My time's done. Laters. And then you don't, you don't see them again, like in Derby. Like I'm lucky enough. I'm still friends with a load of people that I worked with for years, but we go and we hang out in different cities, but nothing to do with Derby. And I'm like, wow, you look at them and you go, you're such a fucking loss. Like this person was amazing and they've so much knowledge in their head that they could teach people either how to skate, how to officiate, how to position themselves. 
but they're gone because they burnt out. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just don't want to burn out. Just do it for fun. And I think one of the trends that has been for officials that leave officiating has become that they become uh, bench coaches. I think that's something. But there, I mean, of course, yeah. there has there has yeah. to be a spot for this and for you on the team to be actually become a bench coach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I thought about maybe it's good for like to start having, um, let's say, official coordinators or official experts on on yeah. team benches maybe and just give uh, their honest opinion before a captain co- goes into the middle demanding an official review. Yeah. Give their honest opinion about how the chances that this outcome will be. Well, like I, I, I've watched some, some teams who have been very lucky to have the, the ability to do that, where they have very, very high level officials that have played the game for years that are on the bench, but they might be like a, a third bench. They're just what their job is to watch the officials and the gameplay and see what they'll be able to get in an official review. And that the, the main bench as such might just be focusing in on their team and giving feedback to their team and trying to change stuff. So I think ideally that would be the best way of doing it is someone's actually there for the team. Someone's there for blockers. Someone's there for jammers. And then someone's there for, for dealing with officials that has that kind of either official speak, you know, the official ease that we speak because that mm-hmm. makes our life easier. Um, and, and it's so much faster in the official review as well. So, And um, we're getting close to the end here, but uh, one question that is not connected to any of those questions other than a sentence in, in the intro, but okay. <laughs> do, do you remember what trend for official pictures you said? Uh, I think we were at a tournament before and everybody ended up with a T-shirt that's the slogan that's the slogan yeah you've been okay. a slogan on a t-shirt the shrift yeah. made me do it where yeah. what's i mean where it's interesting what you made people actually do oh browser yeah that was that was a that was something that was shown to me by i think dirty harry from stuttgart mm-hmm. and yeah. and riffraff and they're like you gotta try this um and it was oh it's terrible <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like the worst thing ever but because I've tried this terrible thing, you got to try this terrible thing. <laughs> it was like just showing everybody else. And it was fun. Like, it was fun because when, when the hell is an Irish guy ever going to see some weird, strange, fizzy stuff that, you know, kids in Germany drink, you know, and then <laughs> some adult figured out, hey, if you put this in vodka, it's, it's kind of cool. And you're like, all right, let's 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 do it. You know, I'm guessing it's something that probably teenagers, when they're starting to drink, do and then for some weird reason, some officials were like, yeah, this is cool. And yeah, just kind of started from there. It was, yeah, it was fun. I ended up buying thousands of those bloody things and bringing them to after parties with me. Uh, but I definitely <laughs> blame Dirty Harry for that, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's uh, Browser's uh, the cocaine of roller derby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's so lame. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it kind of speaks uh, speaks or tells a lot about uh, what the, the people who what we are. Derby community yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In other places, cocaine is the cocaine of their communities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the uh, the trend for official pictures, I, at least I remember that way that we, you were the first one starting it with the like cats in your hand and then like a space background. Do you know what? I don't think I was the first person to do that. I think it was either anti 
from Finland. Ah, okay. Either Antti or Acid Barrett from Finland. One of those guys did it first. Now, they did it with like holding one cat. And I looked at it and I laughed my ass off. And I went, right, I'm going to do this. But I have two cats. So I'm going to do a photo of me facing either direction holding a cat. And then I had a cat before. And that one's going to be like floating ghostly in the background. <laughs> and it's just, I think people, people that didn't, I remember going to the States to a tournament and my crew head went, oh, I'm, you've got a lot of games, Shref. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how many at the time. More, I think more than my crew head. And the crew head's like, oh, well, you got loads of games. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then we did a couple of like games together at the tournament and, maybe a quarter way through they're like oh you're actually pretty good okay I'm like well, that's weird you chose me and they went yeah yeah but like i saw your photo on your fcv with the cats and i was like who the hell is this weirdo <laughs> i think there's this is maybe one of the things we need to bring back or at least have more more rotation in in uh, like those official pictures i feel like every season should be a new trend in official oh, pictures i love that that would be great something just funny and amusing like yeah that's totally up my alley for, for my yeah. sense of humor i'd love it each tournament it could be what's the theme of this tournament and then yes. that's it skater yeah. pictures officials pictures that's the way you go yeah that's a great idea Listen, we haven't, I mean, we're close to an hour or we, we talked over an hour and I could go on four, four hours and we've actually done <laughs> way I think more we've done that now, right? <laughs> <laughs> the lost <But> tapes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll surface at one point in the future. But uh, listen, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing this with me, uh, for being the first one as well, for putting this trust into this uh, little thing, whatever this turns out to be. But uh At least a couple of people will hear this episode. Now I'm, 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 I'm sure this is the one. You know, this is the one. <laughs> third time lucky. Third time lucky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I'd happily come on again. I love chatting to you. Know that this is always fun. Yeah, and I got lots of questions left, so you'll you'll be on here in the in the future. I'm sure. Perfect. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much for this. It's great fun. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody at home. Thank you. And this is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the talk. And if you want to support us, you can do so by following us on the platform you're listening to this right now and give us a five-star review there, by following our Instagram at Official Review Podcast, where you can also get in contact with us if you have feedback or suggestions, and of course, by spreading word in the Derby community.